if when you get to Cape Rienga and you get out the car and there's like a six foot something Danish guy, whatever you do, don't hike with him. On this month's trail show. One of those things that doesn't seem like a big deal, but in that specific moment, it was everything. So we don't have to listen to the Americans over here complaining about how hard the trails are and that they aren't grounded enough. It is not supposed to be easy. It's no joke. You come down here, you you figure that out. You bring your silver umbrella or else you're going to perish. Never say no when somebody proposes you something mm-hmm. on the on the trail. But I tried Marmite and I had nightmares since. Every night. <laughs> I was here to suffer. Bear has nothing to do with hiking. Get on the trail! We're talking about dirt, mud, blood, and guts. Que no parece fiesta. It's the Trail Show. My God, Paulie. Featuring Lawton Disco Grinter. What the hell are you two doing, Mike? Felicia P.O.D. Hermosillo. What are you girls doing up here? Mike Dilo DiLorenzo. Yeah! Paul Mags Magnanti. He's a fraud. And now from Mags' living room, it's the Trail Show. We are broadcasting live from the Bobby Walter Studio in tropical Kalapana, Hawaii. Today's March 30th, and if all goes as planned, this show will be released on March 32nd, also known as April Fool's Day. This is part two of our two-part New Zealand special. Today's show, the dramatic conclusion of our 2,000-mile hike across New Zealand on Te Araroa. But first, a letter from trail show correspondent Trevor Homework McKee. This summer... The Northwest Outward Bound School is proud to be offering a 28-day long-distance hiking course on the Pacific Crest Trail. Prepare for your future thru-hike or section hike and push yourself farther than you ever thought possible. This course is coached by experienced Outward Bound staff and thru-hiker alumni. Participants can expect workshops, guest speakers, and the opportunity to buy ultralight gear at wholesale cost or below after the course's completion. This expedition will start around Crater Lake and end at the Bridge of the Gods on the Columbia River, setting participants up to continue north to the Canadian border after the course is over. Four days will be set aside to do a service project with the Pacific Crest Trail Association, giving participants the opportunity to give back to the trail. This course is geared towards folks who seek to build their skill sets and confidence before setting out on their own journey. Let Outward Bound help you launch your own lifetime of long-distance hiking adventures. Ages 18 plus. For more information, simply Google Northwest Outward Bound PCT or email our friend Homework at homeworkhikes at gmail.com. That's homeworkhikes at gmail.com. Thank you, Homework. All right. Thank you, Trevor, for sending in that tidbit on the Outward Bound course. I'm an Outward Bound alumni, and I can tell you if you take any Outward Bound courses, it's going to change your life. It might even set you on a road to ruin where all you want to do is hike long trails. A lot has happened since part one of this New Zealand special came out. 
We got a lot of interesting feedback from part one. And yes, we were completely beaten and battered when we recorded that show, but a lot has happened since then. We finished our through-hike of Tiararoa on March 13th. We finished at Sterling Point in Bluff with 10 people. Had an amazing finish. We're going to tell you all about the second half of the TA. But honestly, we got to thank a lot of people. A lot of people helped make this through-hike of ours possible and doable. The first and foremost, the Stantons. Craig and Tanya, Dennis and Allison, Lori and Jan, the, St the whole Stanton family just blew us away with their trail magic and trail angeling. They really, really helped us out along the way. And we can't thank them enough. And uh, Heaps, our good friend Heaps, he served as our base camp manager. And we were constantly calling him and emailing him and hassling him. Hey, mail us this here, mail us that there, send these shoes here, and blah, blah, blah. And he obliged. It's, uh, it's not easy to be someone's base camp person because, you know, you're dealing with regular life. And then you got two people that are on a long-distance hike sending you these frantic requests at various points of time. And anyway, um, and, and Dennis, my gosh, you, dro you drove us all over New Zealand. <laughs> I think you did a through-hike in your car. <laughs> if we were to total up all the miles, you may have driven more miles than we hiked. Um, and Lori and Jan was awesome. We got to meet them down in uh, the South Island, and Cromwell had a great stay down there. Um, P.O.D., who else should we thank? Uh, trail show listener Chris Smith and his parents from Hamilton. Hamilton. Uh, Chris Smith is a longtime listener. Also did the the TRO this summer, and his parent he set it up so that we could stay with his parents in Hamilton. We had a wonderful stay. They made incredible food for us, and then we ran into Chris Smith later on, which was great. Yeah, Chris, I wish we could have spent more time with you in Twizel, but uh, we were we were on the mission, as you know. But it was cool to, to run into you randomly there, and the stay with your parents was stellar. Also, a big thanks to Cosmic Kaylee on the North Island. She provided us a place to stay during an unfortunate weather night. So many, many thanks to you. Joe at the Mayhem Roost homestay in Bowles uh, was not there, but uh, allowed us to stay at the Mayhem Roost on the night prior to our last show. And... Um, I don't know if we would have been alive slash continued on our journey without that stay in bowls. It really saved us. Big thanks to Sally and John at Makahika Outdoor Center. Sally is the Donna Softly of the TA. And if you hike the TA in the future, do yourself a favor. Stop at Makahika. Meet Sally and John. Uh, it's right before you go into the Taruas, which is a fantastic mountain range at the bottom of the North Island. And that's kind of where the whole hike for us started to change, and we'll get into that in a bit. But Sally and John, you guys rock. Thank you so much for the accommodation and the dinner. We had steak dinner with those two. How about that? Wonderful. Kathleen, the honey lady, uh, coming out of the Taruas. I was feeling a little blue, a little beat down. And randomly this lady came up on her bicycle looking for hikers to give them fresh uh, whole wheat rolls that she had just pulled out of the oven that were still warm and honey from her own beehive. It was one of those things that doesn't seem like a big deal, but in that specific moment, it was everything. 
and totally lifted my spirits. I just saw a gecko run across the wall. We are recording from Hawaii, so things are a little tropical down here. Big thanks to Mongo and Jaff in Upper Hut. Mongo is a good friend of Buddha's, who's a good friend of ours, um, ATO2. Mongo and Jaff gave us an amazing place to stay and kind of coordinate all our resupplies for the South Island. And we had a blast hanging out with them and their kids. Really, really cool people. Really great place to stay. Have one of the best Indian meals on the entire trail with those two. So big thank you to Mongo and Jaff. Jenny and David, uh, friends of Makahika. Yeah, Sally and John from Makahika. Uh, randomly ran into them near Lake Ohau. They were on their bikes. They invited us into their house and fed us a really delicious lunch. Let us charge our devices for a little bit. So that was really great. Yeah, it was so nice. Just random people just saw us on the trail, wanted to know what we were doing. And it was a hot day. And they said, well, you're going to walk by our house. And in a few hours, just stop in. And that we did. Big thanks to Bella's parents. Uh, Matt and Bella was a British couple. We hiked with a good bit of the South Island. And their parents came to visit them in New Zealand. And we happened to be around uh, that whole crew and hiking with that whole crew. About the time of the Super Bowl, go Broncos. So we were in the town of Methven at that time. And Bella's parents, uh, we had lots of big meals with them. It was a lot of fun hanging with them. Ian, Andy, and Fairley, uh, big thanks, helped us out during our sick time. We stayed at their house for three days during our five-day zero stint and had a really great time connecting with some other trail folk and mutual friends and just hanging out, relaxing. Wonderful people. We, we got to talk more about Ian and Andy than just that. Okay. The odds of us meeting E. Are, no, I want to talk about it. <laughs> so when we got to Lake Tecopo, it was hot, hot as hell. We were dying. POD was sick. And little did I know I was going to catch her cold the next day. And it was fully booked. There was nowhere to stay. We camped in a piece of dirt at the Holiday Park because there was nothing else. It was, uh, it was dreadful at best. So we just decided we got to get the hell out of Lake Tecopo. And we looked on a map. We see there's this little town called Fairley, about 30 minutes to the east. We hitchhike, get a ride down there. And we stay at the Holiday Park down there. By the way, we, we keep talking about Holiday Parks. And I think we discussed this on Part A. But real quickly, they're just basically campgrounds that also have a communal kitchen. And they're, they're really nice. I, there's no real equivalent to those in the U.S., it's it's hard to explain, but cabins. yeah, they have cabins you can rent of various sizes, including micro cabins, which are like a six foot by eight foot sort of deal. And then there is you can set up a tent there if you want, but yeah, they have these communal kitchens and usually like a, a rec room or a TV room or an internet room. They're really really nice. I think it's something that I'd love to see something like that in the U.S., but I don't know that it would work because of all the shared spaces. You know, in God's country, we don't really like to share nothing. Anyway, that's a story for another day. But so we spent two nights in at the Holiday Park in Fairley, and P.O.D. was at the grocery store in Fairley, just walking around in her purple rain skirt and her dirty shirt, you know, looking like hiker trash. And some girl walks up to her in the grocery store and says, hey, are you a long-distance hiker? And I was like, 
uh, yeah, I am. Which, it just took me off guard because n nobody uses that language in New Zealand, long distance hiker. And she had a Moab shirt on and she was an American and I was just like, whoa. She said, I live here and do you need anything? And I said, well, we already booked two nights at the Holiday Park. She gave me her contact information. If you need anything, give me a call. So then when we decided to take additional days off because Disco had gotten sick and the weather had turned sour, I called her and said, can we come stay with you? And she said, absolutely. So we went to her house, which is beautiful. And anyway, it turns out she's a long-distance hiker. And by long-distance, I mean triple, triple crown plus. And we have mutual friends, mutual acquaintances. She spends, So she spends six months of the year in Antarctica, three months of the year in Moab, and three months of the year in New Zealand. And she just happened to run into me in town during that time that she was in New Zealand. So pretty crazy odds. So we went and stayed at their house, and it was so wonderful. I don't think I've ever taken five zeros in a row on a trail, but we needed all five of those. Actually, we needed a few more, but at some point, even if you're still sick, <laughs> you got to start walking. So we hiked out, and I don't know, it took me like four or five more days to not be sick, but I actually did try to calculate those crazy odds on us running into another American triple crowner that lives in New Zealand three months out of the year. And I think I came up with something like one in 70 million. And I don't know. She may be the only person in the entire country that... In a town that's not... Yeah, that, in a very small town. That Some would say it might have been divine intervention. Big thank you, E and Andy. You guys rock. We got a few more people to thank. And then we can get to the meat of the show. Or the tofurkey of the show. We've got... Marisol and Esteban in Auckland, uh, friends of mine from Crested Butte that also picked us up from the airport and put us up for a night in their house with their really adorable son. Great to reconnect with them. Had some good food, good breakfast, homemade pizzas. And finally, big thanks to Rhino and Tomato. Uh, Rhino's a good friend of ours in Hawaii that we stayed with both on the way to New Zealand and on the way back. And he hooked us up by mailing a few things. And our good friend Tomato, who's, who was on that uh, the the bonus show we did uh, featuring the Sierra High Route in Portland, we had him ship stuff from Portland to New Zealand because it was actually cheaper to do that than buy certain gear in New Zealand. You know, part of that's just because we didn't we couldn't really get a good handle on what gear would work for us, and once we finally figured that out, we were already on trail. So big thanks, Rhino and Tomato. And, you know, just a, just a thank you to the, the New Zealanders we met, just New Zealanders in general. They're some of the most polite and friendly people that you're ever going to meet on any trail. And, I mean, way different than the U.S. You, you kind of just have to go there and meet the Kiwis to understand that whole Kiwi hospitality thing. It's for reals. You know, people were just very friendly and willing to to offer you a soda or a beer when you needed one, willing to give you a ride. Sometimes you didn't even have to ask for a ride. People just pull up in their cars alongside you and say, hey, do you want a ride? And I'd say, no, ma'am, we're walking on purpose. And that would often give like a very quizzical look. And they would say, okay, and drive on. 
the people, I think, kind of made the good parts of the trail even better. Yeah. It's something that we didn't really know about. I mean, the guy that was the general manager at the golf course that invited us in for coffee, how often would that happen in the United States when you're on a long hike? Zero. Let's get into the meat of the beast. I want to talk quickly about what I hope will become the movie to see before your TA through hike. And it's called The Black Sheep. And this is not the movie featuring Chris Farley. There is actually a New Zealand film called The Black Sheep. And my hope is that it actually becomes equivalent of what uh, Deliverance is to the Appalachian Trail. You know, people that have seen Deliverance know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen Deliverance, good luck. <laughs> Give it a look if you're, if you're daring. But yeah, The Black Sheep is, uh, in a nutshell, it's basically sort of a B-rated horror flick that involves mutating sheep in New Zealand. And I tell you this, once you watch The Black Sheep and you're hiking through those sheep stations on the TA, you'll never look at those sheep the same. And you may even have some fear. How many thumbs up, P.O.D.? How many thumbs up would you give the black sheep? Two. I'd give it three, but I only have two thumbs, so we'll just keep it at two. <laughs> All right, so when we last left off, we were in Bulls at a homestay. We had done 1,500 kilometers, or half the trail. And at that point, we had half the trail to go. Oddly enough, uh, you remember Skittles from the last show. So we decided to take a couple days off after the Bulls experience because we were so wrecked from that ridiculous bike ride. Skittles decided to press on, and we never caught him again. So Bulls was the last place we saw Skittles, and we thought we were within a day of him at one point near Blue Lake Hut, but we never, ever caught him. And once we took the five zeros due to sickness and illness, we never saw Skits again. He ended up finishing a couple days in front of us. And anyway, it was a blast to hike with that guy. And, and honestly, he kind of kept us going for the first half of the trail. His, uh, he, he just kind of just hammers out the miles, and we followed along. And anyway, it was a blast to hike with Skits. I got to hike with him, if anybody remembers, on the Grand Enchantment Trail back in 2014. And we met Skits originally on the CDT in 2006. Anyway, Skits, it was a blast. I wish we had caught you, but we did not. Maybe next time. You hike too fast. That's a problem. After Bulls and splitting up with Skits, we road walked a bit more to get to the Taruas. The Taruas, in my opinion, were the first real mountain range that we got into as, as TA through hikers. And it's crazy that we had to have half the trail under our belt before we got into the first real mountain range, but I thought it was quite reminiscent of the White Mountains in New Hampshire along the Appalachian Trail. Super steep, super rocky. Uh, we were thankful to actually stay in the huts there. I don't know, P.O.D., do you want to talk about the Taruas a little bit? Yeah, first I want to back up for a second. I just want to personally apologize for the last show, because that's where we ended in Bulls. I listened to it uh, a couple weeks before our finish, I think, and it was really depressing, so... You know, we were all pretty broken and low energy, but I just was like, wow. So anyone who had to listen to that, I'm sorry that I was so down. The Tararuas themselves were really cool. Uh, kind of like the White Mountains, but I don't know. They didn't look like the White Mountains at all to me. They they were very kind of like fairy tale esque All the trees are covered in this wispy moss and kind of stunted and black. And it was, um, 
a really difficult mountain range, something I'd been looking forward to for a long time. I was only disappointed that it only lasted like three days. By the way, Dilo said the last show was his favorite show. I don't know. I could take it or leave it. But I think we were being brutally honest. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't make for the best and entertaining podcast. But it's the stark reality of the North Island. What I will say about the Taruas is when we say extremely difficult mountain range, there was a day that we only covered seven and a half miles, and it took us nine hours. So you do the math on that. We did take maybe an hour worth of breaks in there, but seven and a half miles, people. Freaking up, down, not a flat bit of trail in that entire mountain range, but it was amazing. It was nice to just climb and descend and put it all out there. And, you know, I still say as tough as it was, that mountain range was easier than road walking. Road walk, I have a new... I don't want to use the word appreciation because I don't appreciate road walking. I have a new disdain and understanding of how painful road walking is and how much it wrecks your body. I'd take 40Ks of the White Mountains any day over 40Ks of road walking. Forget about it. So anyway, the Taru has kind of just left a permagran on our face, and we were really stoked to have gone into there and seeing what we saw, but I actually wish we could have spent more time there, and our friend Mongo told us there's a route called the Southern Crossing that is really, really nice if you've got good weather, um, and, and it, real quickly, I'll just mention, you need a good weather window to hike the Taruas. We started at Makahika, and Sally and John kind of set us up with a good weather forecast, and luckily, we didn't have to take any days off, but there were some people there they had been waiting for a couple days to get a good weather window to roll through the Taruas. Luckily, we had nice weather, and we ended up hiking through with a couple other hikers, and yeah, it was amazing. Um, after the Taruas, you do a bit of road walking and some beach walking uh, all the way down to Wellington. And it was actually more interesting than we had planned or thought or hoped. It was pretty cool. A lot of urban hiking especially around Wellington, but Wellington is a really neat city. We spent some time there for a couple days, and then we caught a boat to the South Island. So it's just a ferry that, I don't know, it's a couple-hour ferry across the Cook Strait, and you're not required to <laughs> self-power yourself across the Cook Strait, nor would I recommend it. The Cook Strait is a big body of water, and it's got some, it can be gnarly and bad weather. I'm sure there's a couple of crazy people out there that have paddled across it. I know that the Maori people used to paddle across it back historic days of yonder. But we were happy to be on a big ferry. You get dropped off in Picton, and then from there we took a water taxi up to Ship's Cove, which is the northern point of the South Island, and it's where the TA resumes on the Queen Charlotte track. Queen Charlotte track, by the way, is more like a road, and it was pretty easy walking. And then you get to what I think is actually the hardest mountain range on the entire trail, which is the Richmond Range. And we had heard all these horror stories about the Richmond Range. Oh, you need 10 days of food. You're never going to make it. You need knee-high gators. You need a 100-liter pack with 65 pounds of gear. You need a wing and a prayer. You need, you know, Hercules strength. 
the sand flies are, are, will carry you away, you're never going to make it, etc., etc. Going into the Tower Rose with lots of days of food is, actually, is a reality for a lot of people because there's the hot life. Uh, most people here are staying in huts and they're hiking from hut to hut. And if you do that, uh, you're hiking from, say, 8, 8.30 till 3.30 or 4.30. What happens is you get to a hut and then the next hut is too far to push on. So people are doing two huts a day or something like that. If you're willing to camp outside of the huts, then you can do the uh, Richmond Range in, in a shorter time. We, we camped the whole time. We didn't stay in any huts. We did camp at several huts, but we also had a couple of nights where we camped away from huts. And um, so we did it in five days, five and a half days. But part of that was two reasons. Number one, we had good weather the whole time, so we were able to hike all day long and not worry about exposure. And two, we were looking at someone's journal who was going through before us, so we knew the times, hiking times and distances between certain spots. So we knew when we got to a place, we could say, oh, we can totally make it. So we didn't have to take that gamble. Um, but yeah, I thought the Richmond Range was it, a, a lot like the Tower Ruiz. I was so happy to be doing hard stuff, pushing, steep up, steep down. I wasn't so psyched on because it hurt my knees. Either way, I was really stoked to be feeling like for five days straight, I was pushing hard all day long. And I was hoping that that's what the rest of the South Island would be like. Um, so it was really nice. I, I loved it. And there were sand flies, and they were terrible. But I was so happy to be in the mountains and, and feeling sore and feeling like I was really doing something every day. I loved it. Real quick about the sand flies. They're basically biting black flies, and I think they actually are in the black fly family. Say that three times fast. We had sand flies from the moment we got to Ship's Cove at the northern start of the South Island to the very end of the South Island, which is Sterling Point and Bluff. And they were off and on, but in the Richmond Range, they were on. And there was a night we camped at Midwairoa Hut that was either the worst or second worst night of sand flies that we had. And the problem with that is they're just sitting on your, your mesh door of your tent, just waiting, waiting to get in there. So anytime you unzip it, you can let about 20 in, you got to kill them, you got to keep them from sucking all your blood. But I would argue that sand flies are easier to deal with than mosquitoes because... Yeah. If you do a long-distance hike anywhere else, you're going to have a mosquito season where the same thing happens. It's crazy mosquitoes. But mosquitoes are harder to see because they're wispy. And the sand flies are these little black dots. And as soon as they come in, they generally land on you or on the tent wall. They're really slow. They're easy to kill. So I, I actually think the sand flies are easier to deal with in many ways than mosquitoes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The other thing is that sand flies cannot fly as fast as you walk so as long as you're moving you won't get bit but as soon as you stop that's when it can be weird and by weird I mean that we were told all these things like if you wear blue or purple they'll attack you if you're by a stream or woods by a stream they'll attack you if you're we just we heard all these different things and sometimes we'd be in woods by a stream and they'd be there other times we'd be in woods by a stream nothing Sometimes I'd put on my blue rain jacket and they'd swarm me. Other times, blue rain jacket, nothing. I couldn't find any sort of 
definitive uh, link as to when they would show up or where. All I know is that when they did not show up, I was happy. And when they did show up, I was sad. <laughs> All right, enough about sand flies. The Richmond Range was fantastic, though. And after the Richmond Range, you go into Nelson Lakes National Park, which is somewhat reminiscent of Colorado. And the, the thing in Nelson Lakes National Park, it's kind of the crux of the hike because you have to go over Wayu Pass. Wayu Pass, I think it's the second highest point on the trail. But there's a, the descent after Wayu Pass is somewhat technical. And by technical, I mean there's a bit of rock scrambling. So, you know, honestly, it wasn't, I thought it was a little overhyped once we actually got up there and, and started going down. The path down was clearly marked, although we were there on a day when it wasn't foggy or rainy, so we had weather working with us. And, you know, we just went down and that was it. And then we got into more sand flies. I will say this, though, we got stuck at Blue Lake Hut, which is the hut before Wayu Pass. And we got stuck there for two nights waiting for a good weather window. And I think that's something long-distance hikers have a hard time with the waiting because we get out there and we just want to go 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 push 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 but sometimes you got to let common sense prevail and we got stuck there and, and actually what we didn't realize is that the bulk of the people we got stuck in that hut with for two nights would be the people we finished the trail with so it was kind of a neat thing we ended up meeting all these new people we hadn't seen any of them before there was 15 of us in that hut for two nights. All of us were TA hikers. It was really cool. You know, we POD and I weren't a huge fan of the huts, and we can talk about that more later. But getting stuck in Blue Lake Hut for two nights was a lot of fun. I think the Blue Lake Hut time was actually a highlight for me because there were 15, like you said, 15 of us in there. And I don't know, it was just, one of those other things that I was missing about this trail is that on the North Island, you know, there's all these road sections and um, people, everyone's doing something different, skipping around and stuff. And so there's no rhythm on the North Island. And I think the huts definitely establish a rhythm for people, which was nice. And it was the first time that I really felt that trail community. And it was really nice. It was just fun to meet all those people and tell stories and be laughing and you know it's pouring rain outside but everyone inside is just having a good time all right i want to talk about the february sun in new zealand we had heard some rumors that february was the hottest month in new zealand and i just thought bah it's more fear-mongering it's more you're never going to make it it's more people trying to tell us that we can't do it, and it's, it's just more the man trying to keep us down. But let me tell you something. The February sun in New Zealand is like a laser beam that's trying to bore a hole in your head. I've never experienced sun that intense in my life. And, you know, we talked briefly about the whole ozone thing. <laughs> so the, the ozone layer above New Zealand is quite thin, to non-existent in some places, and that's part of the reason why they have the highest skin cancer rate on the planet. And I get it. After hiking in February in New Zealand, I get it. It's no joke. And I can't tell you how thankful I was for our silver trekking umbrellas because we were hiking with people that had, you know, a ball cap, and that's it. Tom, 
and I just, I think I would have melted. I think I'd still be out on the trail, just melted into a puddle if I had not had that silver umbrella. And I, I would I would even say that that piece of equipment would get the MVP. You know, we use them for rain, but more importantly, we use them for sun. Let me tell you what, you, you will walk around with the silver umbrella on Trail New Zealand, and you're going to get some looks, you're going to get some snickers, yeah, you will get that anywhere, but you especially get it in New Zealand. They don't, they've never seen a silver umbrella. But let me tell you what, it was a degree above freezing under that umbrella. That's a lie. But it was a lot better than the sun. The sun will bake you. The sun will make you crazy. It's no joke. You come down here, you, you figure that out. Or you bring your silver umbrella or else you're going to perish. The other thing that happened in February is... We found out that that is the high tourist season in New Zealand. Pia, do you want to speak about what happened in the towns due to high tourist season? So basically everything was booked. In the South Island, from Arthur's Pass South, everything was booked all the time. So as a thru-hiker, you had to think about when am I going to get to town and then call ahead and try to book a campsite because all of that was booked too. Um, it was really uncomfortable to be someone who's on foot and you go into these towns and everything's booked and you got to walk around looking for lodging. And this is different than the U.S. Uh, long-distance hiking trails in that most of the towns that you go into on U.S. trails are not touristy in that way. And so there's almost always accommodations there. And in contrast here on the South Island, the trail actually routes you through some of the most popular trail towns. And I think that was an economic idea push. But um, I got to say that if you're a TA hiker, it's in your best interest to get out a map and think about what towns you can go into besides those towns. So, for example, we went in, from Lake Tekapa, we went into Fairley. Fairley is not a trail town. It's also not a tourist town. And it was great. There's a holiday park there, very inexpensive, very calm town, very small. Everything's walking distance, great. Uh, we went into Otautau, a town that most people don't go into. Um, we went into Cromwell with Lori, which you could easily hitch into. Yeah. All of these towns are smaller towns that are far, far enough away from the TA that most hikers don't go into them. But they do have accommodation available. They, they're much quieter. They have all the services that you need. They're walkable. Um, but, but the trail towns themselves that the TA routes you through, even in Vercargill, mm -hmm. completely booked. And it was just, I don't know, that part of it was not very pleasant because it made you have to think about town before you got there. Yeah, and I think this is a good time to talk about tourist towns versus trail towns. And I would submit that on the South Island, the TA goes through tourist towns. It's very different, you know. The the AT, for instance, has these iconic trail towns like Hot Springs, North Carolina, and Damascus, Virginia. And even the PCT, you think about places like Agua Dulce and Wrightwood, um, or on the CDT, like Pie Town, you know. These places are trail towns. But on the TA, it, there are no trail towns. And, and what I mean is that the TA goes through places like Arthur's Pass. It goes through places like St. Arnaud, Lake Tekapo, uh, Invercargill, Wanaka, Queenstown. These are not trail towns. These are tourist towns. And when you get there as a southbound TA hiker, 
it is chock-a-block full of tourists. And those tourists have already pre-booked all their accommodation months in advance. So you're kind of just left flailing, trying to figure out, well, what, what the heck do I do? And it's, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's very different. And, and like POD was saying, there are trail towns, but you're going to have to hitch a ride to them from the, trail, the tourist town that you don't want to be in. So you got to get creative. And I would add, it's not just that the accommodation is booked. It's the, the crowdedness of the, of the town as a hiker that just feels very uncomfortable. And so, like I was saying, it's, it's a little extra effort to hitch to a different town. But I would say your overall experience is going to be much better because that grocery store isn't going to be packed with tourists who are on wheels. Um, and the town's not going to be packed. It's just, and also I think people who live in those trail, those tourist towns, they get real burned out on tourists and that's understandable. They get tired of people stopping in the middle of the road and stopping in the middle of the aisle in the grocery store and, you know, not caring, I guess. So those other, those outlying towns like Fairley and Otautau, those places, they don't see many tourists. So they're happy to have you there. And, I don't know. It's a different vibe for sure. And I, as for myself, I prefer the non-Disneyland version of a town. Yeah, and I think things have changed a bit in New Zealand. You know, our friend Buck 30 hiked in 2012, 2013. He was in a lot of the South Island towns a full month after we were, as far as timing goes. But he never had any situations where all the accommodation was booked. And I would say most of our situations were all the accommodation was booked. So I think New Zealand has done a hell of a job in marketing New Zealand to other countries, China in uh, specifically, and everybody is in New Zealand. We, were, we often joked we called New Zealand Kleine Deutschland, meaning little Germany, because <laughs> there are a ton of Germans in New Zealand. It could be Clan of China, little China, because there's a ton of Chinese folks in uh, New Zealand touring around so i don't want to use the word overrun with tourists but there are a lot of tourists in all these towns in new zealand and it's something that as a ta through hiker you're going to have to deal with whether you want to or not so just think about you know planning ahead as best you can maybe trying to bypass accommodation and just hike in and out of towns do your resupply and get out it's tough because it's so hot you want some respite from the yeah, or just go to a neighboring town. Um, but anyway, that's our whole spiel on trail towns versus tourist towns. One quick thing I will say is we the few hostels we did stay at, uh, there was some crazy food prep going on. And we saw we saw some... There's that gecko again climbing the wall. We saw some folks in Wellington, and I won't, I won't say where they're from, Deutschland, but they were... They took four hours to make this gnocchi meal in the hostel kitchen. And I just, I just can't help but think, so like you travel halfway across the planet to spend four hours in a kitchen at a hostel making a meal that reminds you of home. How much is that, I mean, how much is it worth? You know, how much money did you spend on that food how what's your time in that hostel worth what's four hours of your time worth come on people it's you got to get out of the hostel you got to go walk around 
get some Indian takeaway or get some pineapple lumps, you know, do, do something. Don't spend four hours in the hostel kitchen. It wasn't just the Germans. I just want to point out because I did prepare food in those kitchens at most of the places that we stayed. You know, my whole goal is to be simple and efficient because we're hikers. And it was people from all over the world. And they would, I, I don't get it. Definitely the way they were cooking, it would have been much cheaper to eat out because of all the things. I mean, people were buying bags of flour and baking soda and things are only going to use a tablespoon of this and a teaspoon of that. But whatever. That's what people are into. But it was really strange to me to see people making such elaborate food when they could be out seeing the sights. I don't know. It was just interesting. Because for me, I was like, I'm going to make ramen and add some broccoli. Voila. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about hut life. We're going to talk about the glorious finish with the 10 folks we finished with and our overall thoughts and impressions on the TA. We're broadcasting live from Hawaii, folks. The trail show will be back. Trail Show is back. We're still here in Kalapana, Hawaii, talking to you about New Zealand. Hey, and stay tuned. We've got some audio from a bunch of the folks we finished with that we're going to close out the show with. But first, we need to talk about hut life. And what I'll tell you is that the huts in New Zealand are a thing. There's over 900 huts in the country. There's a bunch of huts on the South Island on the TA route. We were actually told by a guy we hiked the Taruas with that you can stay in huts the entire South Island. So we're talking 900 miles roughly. You can stay in huts every night but five nights and do the entire South Island that way if you want. The huts are sort of like AT shelters, but they're actual, but they're actual cabins. They're fully enclosed most of the time. And... They're in various states of disrepair and or brand new. I mean, you get the gamut. There was a hut that was built in 1890 that was still in use, and there were huts that we saw that were built, you know, three years ago. And some of them look like houses. I mean, some of them, the quality can vary, but some of them are really nice. For a TA hiker, you're hiking the South Island in the warmest months of the year, and Personally, we found many of the huts to be hot and stuffy. And the last thing I wanted to do after a day of hiking in the heat was to stay in a stuffy, hot hut. And I don't know, sometimes I think PUD and I are hiking a different trail than the people that we're hiking with because we'd see a lot of folks taking breaks in the sun with full pants on, long sleeves, and P.O.D. and I would be just dying in the shade, trying to cool down. The other thing for me, and P.O.D., I'll let you talk about the huts because I know you have some opinions. But the thing for me is that I, fin- I spend most of my life sleeping in a building under a roof in a box. And when I come out and do a long hike, I don't want to sleep in a building under a roof in a box. 
I want to be outside, you know. I want to sleep in a tent. I want to be able where I can see the stars. I want to be outside, not inside. So ultimately, that's what it came down for me. And I think you and I only spent five nights in huts. The Europeans we were hiking with looked at us in sheer horror most of the nights, especially when we would set up our tent in the rain. We kind of dug the social part of being with the folks at the huts, but we didn't want to stay inside. I think it's important to note that it wasn't just the Europeans in the hut system or in staying in the huts. I think there were lots of, pretty much everybody was staying in the huts. And in fact, a lot of the Americans that we knew had embraced the hut system and were staying there. And I think as far as the Europeans go, we, I don't want to say it like, oh, the Europeans are staying in the hut, you know. There's a hut system in Europe, and so I think it's related. They're used to that, and it feels normal for them. And I don't want it to sound like we're judging them because they're staying in the huts. We enjoyed staying outside. They enjoy staying inside the huts. Even when the huts were hot and buggy, I, that was something for us. We were like, no way I'm staying in here. It feels like a sauna. But for them, they like it, so that's okay. And I also just wanted to backtrack a little bit, too, on our last podcast we talked about the giant backpacks of the Europeans. And I just wanted to throw that in here somewhere that I definitely was judgmental of people when we first came out here about how big their packs are. But, you know, in the rest of the world, they don't have access to ultralight gear like we do. And it's a different culture of hiking. And I think what I've learned on this trail is that even if somebody's carrying a giant backpack, they're still having the best day of their life. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that my pack's smaller than theirs. They're having a great time, and that's really what people come out here for. So they might be going faster or slower than me, but they're having a great time. And in most cases, people were having more fun than I was. So, you know, I think I've learned to maybe keep those judgments to myself. Yeah, I would just say if you're an American long-distance hiker coming over to New Zealand to hike the TA, leave, leave that smugness about your light gear at home because you're going to be hiking with people all from all over Europe and Australia and New Zealand and they're going to have packs that weigh twice what yours are and they're going to be hiking faster than you and they're going to be having more fun than you. Don't have any pity for that person with the big pack. It's just a different way of hiking and you know no way is better than any other way. Um, the other thing I'm not going to talk about is Scooby-Doo, Charles Huff. That's an inside joke, P.O.D. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what? I would also submit that I think the TA is actually geared more towards the European hiker than the American hiker. Um, I think if I was recommending a trail, for instance, to go do as your first trail, if you're an American, I'd say go, go hike the PCT. If you're a European, I would say, yeah, go check out the TA. It's got a hot system. It's got uh, – there's a lot of things that are similar on the TA – from a, a European standpoint than from an American standpoint. So that's something to, I don't know, it's something to consider. We should talk about the finish, our great finish we had with the 10 other hikers uh, before we wrap this thing up. Uh, we finished with 10 other, or 10 people total. And those last few days we were kind of all hiking as a group and not always together every night, but uh, mostly together. And we had Matt and Bella from the UK. Tom from New Hampshire, Rune from Denmark, Celestino from Germany, Antoine and Solène from France, and Mick from Australia. And the last day we all kind of stuck together and finished together. It was great because you finish at this monument 
and there's the the, the the signpost there that tells all the distances, just like at Cape Ranga. And there was a tour bus of people very patiently waiting to get their photos taken. Everybody's getting their photo taken. And as we got closer, we started cheering, and people were looking at us, thinking, what are these people doing? And there was a family waiting to get their picture taken, and Rune just totally ran up and dive-bombed the sign and laid on the ground in front of them, in front of their photo. And then we just kind of took over. And um, it was really fun to finish with them, because I think I mentioned before that, I mean, for me, I definitely was feeling not so great about this trail, but finishing with that group of people that were having so much fun and so stoked definitely made a difference in my energy levels and just made it really fun. So I was really grateful to finish with that group of people. We also popped some champagne Mm -hmm. at the risk of being arrested or given tickets. We popped champagne right there at the end point at Sterling Point and Bluff. It is kind of odd to finish where there's a parking lot full of tourists waiting to have their photo taken at the exact same spot you've walked four months to get there and have your photo taken. But yeah, we basically bum rushed the sign, took over, and you know, people were like, where did you come from? What do, what do you mean you walked four months? Where do you take a shower? Did you carry a gun? It was a fun finish. We went back to Invercargill afterwards and had some beers. I think we should wrap this thing up with our final thoughts and impressions on the TA. P.O.D., why don't you start? All right, so I've had some time to process this, and I think what I've settled on is that the TA is twice as expensive as any long trail I've done in the U.S. and has probably four times the suffering, but only one-tenth of the enjoyment. And I know that sounds really harsh, but I can't help that that's my experience, and that's just kind of how I viewed the trail. You know, I think you'll go into more details about why the with the suffering, but um, yeah, I mean, that's the honest truth. I And if it weren't for the crew that we finished with, that enjoyment level might even be lower. I don't, maybe one-tenth is low, but definitely, it, as far as bang for the buck goes, it's it just felt like, yeah, it wasn't a lot of bang for the buck. Again, I'll say for me, most days the TA was better than working. And that's a win in my book. But that's really about all I can say. The other thing I'll mention is that I thought a lot about Earl Schaefer on the TA. And I thought about Walking with Spring, which is his book that if you haven't read, you should check it out. Earl Schaefer, Schaefer hiked the, T, or the AT, the Appalachian Trail, in 1948. Back when the Appalachian Trail existed on paper but not necessarily in reality it was a young trail there was a lot of road walking the at that earl schaefer hiked is very different than the at people hike today and i'd like to think the ta is in that phase of development that you know this trail was only dreamed up in 1999 uh the first guidebook came out in 2011 people are are out there hiking it but there's a lot of connector sections there's a lot of road walking and same, with, same as Earl Schaefer in 48. He walked a lot of roads. Oh, hey, ladies and gentlemen, he was taping a special across the hallway. Look who just came to Hawaii. It's Brian Tomato Beauchart. Tomato, what, what do you think about Earl Schaefer? He's a fraud. Thanks for that. But, yeah, I'll just finish with just saying, yeah, I think this trail has some growing pains to get through, and maybe 20, 30, 40 years from now it's going to look entirely different than the trail that we just hiked today. Uh, I tell you what, why don't we just end with that when we come back from break, 
We've got a special treat for you all. We've got some audio from TA Finishers, this year's TA Finishers, and the trail show will be back. All right, the trail show is back, and now we bring you some Voices of the TA, an international group of hikers, and their thoughts and advice on hiking the TA. What's your name, sir? Rune the Bear. And what advice do you have for next year's Te Araroa hikers? Always have time enough and beer sticks enough. What's your name, sir? Antoine said Le Crevasse. And uh, what advice do you have for next year's TA through hikers. Never trust the guy of the petrol station. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. Can, can you explain? We need a little more information here. Ask Tom. His English is better than mine. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Tom. Okay, what's your name, sir? Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Matt, yeah. And what's your piece of advice for next year's TA hikers? My biggest piece of advice would be if when you get to Cape Rienga and you get out the car and there's like a six foot something Danish guy, whatever you do, don't hike with him the entire way down the Tiararoa, North and South Island for 3,000 kilometers. <laughs> and what is your name, miss? Bella. And what advice do you have for next year's hikers? Single ply is not sufficient. <laughs> okay, sir, what is your name? Uh, my name is Celestino. And what advice do you have for next year's hikers? That there is always room for chocolate. Oh, oh. this is good. Let me, let me scoot over here. And you, sir, what is your name? Tom. And what advice do you have for next year's hikers? No matter how many beer sticks you eat, you will always get diarrhea. <laughs> so is the advice don't eat beer sticks? Do not eat beer sticks, no matter what any Danish people you meet along the trail say. And, and can you explain what the rest of Antoine's story is about the petrol station? So the petrol man told us we would see southern lights, and the petrol man lied. It was broad sun when he told us it was time to see those lights. And... Would you recommend if a little old lady in Nungaroo offers you to stay in her yard, would you recommend for or against? I would recommend for it. She will become your New Zealand grandmother along the whole TA. She'll teach you how to play a contract bridge, right? A bridge with all her 80-year-old friends. There's six or seven of them. <laughs> all right, we got to find P.O.D. here. P.O.D., what advice do you have for next year's TA throw walkers? Never sleep in huts. Oh, now you know you've personally offended all the Europeans in the room with that statement. That's a very controversial statement. Would you like to elaborate? Well, there's there can always be some people who are snoring. What? And in my experience, every time I sleep in a hut, I get a really stuffy nose. Hmm. Yeah, and if I'm in my tent, then no one has to smell my farts. Except for disco. <laughs> what, what about pee on the mattresses? What? <laughs> You're not meant to be in the mattress. <laughs> the, I think we add that to our list of reasons. So, Rune, 
on this trail, your your snoring became somewhat legendary. Would you like to defend yourself? There's absolutely nothing to defend about because I think it's one of those urban myths. I haven't heard it myself. And it is clearly a political thing, like the good people in America are trying to get that good fellow Trump of state because we need that guy to run the shit over there. So we don't have to listen to the Americans over here complaining about how hard the trails are and that they aren't grounded enough. It is not supposed to be easy, as long as you have time enough. So if the Americans want to convince the TA Trust to make this trail better, what would you say to that? They should stay home and support Trump. Uh, okay, so Beauty, what's your next piece of advice? If you're the type of person that's going to be madly in love slash obsessed with someone... You should probably just go ahead and make your move instead of, you know, becoming angry and then bad-mouthing them the rest of the trail. Oh. Okay. Uh, we're, we're going back to the Danish bear here. Second piece of advice. Second piece of advice is if you meet some good people on the trail, stay with them. They will only make your journey better. And what is your name? Solen. And so, Lynn, what is your advice for next year's TA hikers? Um, maybe I have two. Okay. Uh, two, well, oh, two. Yeah, it's the crevasse team. Yeah. <laughs> the first one is, it's not be because there is a line that you have to follow it. Yeah. Meaning, it's not because the trail says you have to go there that you have to go there. Just, well, it's good to have a, an objective, but... Uh, right. yeah, okay, you have it. So you can skip. Yeah. <laughs> or you can go, you can do sidewalks or whatever you want. So skip the roads. Yeah, but, well, do whatever you want. It's not because there's a line that you have to follow it. So maybe make your own rules. Oh, yeah. You. <laughs> okay, and what is your second piece of advice? Okay, actually I have two others. Ah. The, the other one. We'll go with the second and then the third. Yeah, the other one is, but I think we all have the same. Never say no when somebody proposes you something on the on the trail. So, but this is a very important one, I think. Okay. Except for the Vegemite, otherwise you're gonna vomit like Antoine did. Did you did you throw up from e eating Vegemite? <laughs> it was Marmite. I, di I didn't, but I tried Marmite and I had nightmares since every night. <laughs> okay, what is your third piece of advice, Solen? Look at the sky in the night. Ah, that's a good. Regardez les étoiles la nuit, le soir. Oh, very nice. I was, th I was thinking the exact same thing, in French. And you, Disco, what is your? Yeah. What about you, Disco? I would say this, and this piece of advice is directed to Americans that are coming over here to hike this beast of a trail. You must have no expectations about how your hike will go because I can guarantee you it will go much differently than what you possibly think could happen. So come over here with no expectations. It's not like any of the three Triple Crown trails. It will humble you. It will make you uh, cry at times. It will make you laugh. It will make you, it will make you dream. It will make you question why it is that you are here on this planet. 
and what your purpose is, and then you may find yourself on a bridge in Auckland. No, that's terrible. Um, yeah, so no expectations. You got most. You got another piece of advice, Ron. Probably also that. It's probably because the Americans are a weak nation to start with. Oh, I've got another piece of advice. Okay. Don't let the attention slash media whore sit closest to the microphone. Ah, wow, wow. Okay, be- back to Bella. Oh, no, I'm just going to be mean about Rune again. But Tom, Tom's got some money. Yeah, go ahead. We could do okay, we're coming back to Tom. Tom's got some a second piece of advice. I got a couple pieces of advice. Oh, good. One, never burn your toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, French. Two, two, leave your children at home. Don't pack them in your luggage. They're heavy in the back. The French. And number three, don't be French. Never pay for a hostel with a snork or a holiday park because you may end up camping in the woods on your mat without your tent. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's getting a little warm here in this room tonight. Does anyone else have advice for next year's hikers? Uh, maybe the shoes, because we kept the, we kept the same pair of shoes during the whole trail. And maybe it's a bad idea because now they are so, so smelly. So you and Antoine both hiked the entire trail with the same yes. pair of shoes. And, and your feet don't need surgery, you're in Thanks good health. women, you know. Yeah, actually, it's true, P.O.D. No, I, ha- I have one infected area. I've, re- I've removed uh, my pinky toenails, I think, only twice so far on this trip, and none others. I haven't removed any other toenails. But I think I'm going to tomorrow. I think I'm going to remove another one tomorrow. Um, so all in all, pretty good. So maybe the the French style of hiking with the same pair of shoes for 3,000 kilometers is the way to go. Well, the French didn't hike 3,000 kilometers. Can you prove it? (laughs) Do we have video of them hitching at all? Certainly we must. I think uh, Mr. Laurie from Cromwell can prove that he dropped them off in Queenstown. I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, my God. Okay, any other advice? Certainly there's got to be some other pearls of wisdom to give out to next year's hikers. Come on. You guys have been way too quiet over here. This is coming back to meeting a big Danish guy at the top of Cape Ranga. If you meet a big Danish guy at the top of Cape Ranga and he gets out and he tells you you're fine to have a backpack that weighs 25 kilos uh, the whole way down the North Island and the South Island, just ignore him. Try and find someone like you guys and uh, get a new backpack that's much lighter and all your equipment, just chuck it away. Don't have a tent that's for three people and bikes in the front. Uh, yeah, that's about it. And how much did that tent weigh again? The uh, the whale, they call it, right? Well, it really depends. Buckingham Palace. Yeah, Buckingham, it, Buckingham weighed probably, when it was, when it was dry. Thank you, Bella. Well, it's yeah. many names yeah. because it's so big. Different rooms have different names. If it's wet... <laughs> I think... Six kilograms. No. <laughs> 4.3 wet. Plus 1.5. So, so that's 4.3K. We're talking over nine pounds, people. We should say that they may have had a nine-pound tent, but they were the fastest hikers in our crew. Except when Room was going downhill and he would start running. Last chance. Any more advice? Never trust an American about food. Please, what what do you mean, Selene? One guy, with... 
big, a big beer, I think, a very big beer, you know. And, oh, I see him back there. And smelly socks, yeah. and and I smelly wear, shirt, and wet red t-shirt, smelly shirt, yeah. Captain Yeah, one day he told us. Wow, I had such a good hamburger. It was big. It was nice with pineapple in it and how do you say beetroot and blah blah blah. Yeah, everything. It was really good. Really, you can you can trust me. Go 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 and eat it. You're gonna be happy. And we, it was horrible. We we I couldn't finish mine. That kind of people could could even. Uh, love the pies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> they eat they eat meat pies every morning. Cheese, cheese and meat. Cheese and meat. We 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 kind of like the meat pies. What's wrong with the meat pies? Uh, <laughs> you don't like the meat pies either, Ron. No, no, the meat pies are made for like immigrants and. Uh, oh. This is the person who eats beer sticks which are not food and when you die your colon is never going to break down because it's made out of beer sticks at this point beer sticks are one of the purest things you can find in a pig <laughs> Denmark is the nation of pigs that's for sure there is a reason why we are known as the bacon kings now, now Rune we tried to offer you both peanut butter and banana at different points on the trip why won't you take them Peanut butter and banana sandwich is what killed the king. You don't touch it. <laughs> do, you, do you have any other superstitions about food when you're on trail? I don't, do eat, don't eat noodles. I don't eat noodles. It is like stuff that looks like it's space food. You should keep you away from it. Like beer yeah. No, no, beer stick is, again, one of the purest things in this world. It's like tobacco when you smoke it. It just comes out as a pure burn after that. And, and that is how that is how beer sticks come out. Pure. <laughs> Yo, I, I'm speechless. I don't. Okay. No more advice? Any more advice? Going once, going twice? All right. If you're an American coming the trail or anybody who has hiked the other three, you're probably a purist or always uh, connected footsteps. If you come over to New Zealand... Definitely don't connect footsteps. Come out, think about it as a different hike, do all the miles you want. But a lot of the TA, there isn't an actual trail. Where New Zealand has some great tracks off the TA or great stuff in other towns, go check that stuff out. Um, it's not all about necessarily staying on the TA from start to finish when you can still do the miles in other places. Well said, my friend. Yeah, I think, so we were given the advice when we came over here, which was don't hike the North Island hike the South Island, and we said, whatever, we have to hike the North Island, and now I think that advice was solid. Yeah, I think, I think what I'd recommend, though, is come and hike all of the South Island, and then go rent a car, and go hit the highlights, the, the Taruas, the Tongarero Crossing, some of the beach walks, what do you guys think about it? I like, I like, I like the North Island, I like the... I like the, f I didn't like the forest bits, but it's it's the whole thing that connects us together to one experience, and it has to it it can't all, all always be fu funny views and beautiful views. It has to, it has to suck sometimes. You have to suffer to get the real deal. Otherwise, you won't be the real McCoy. So, Lynn and Antoine, did you like the trail? Well, I would say a very very famous author said the trail was amazing 
when it wasn't miserable. <laughs> this is actually what I tell a lot of people. P.O.D., did you like the trail? Um, mostly, I did not like the trail. The South Island was better, but I would say that it's because of the people that I met that it, the experience was salvageable. We're coming, coming around here to the back of the small room with seven people sleeping in it. Celestino, did you like the trail, sir? Yeah, I absolutely loved the trail. Wow. And Tom, yay or nay on the trail? Did you like the trail? Well, it got me out of work for six months. <laughs> Rune, did you like the trail? From start to finish. Wow. Asking how many times he looked out at the view. Okay, Rune, how many times did you look out at the view? None. I'm a, I was here to suffer. What? He cheated? Cheated. I was misled to uh, to uh, to one of those lookout things. I'm on the I'm on the route. So you I'm don't the lookout stuff. You don't do the sidewalks to the lookouts. Sidewalks and skippings and all that kind of <laughs> is the direct way to hell. Right, just say, <laughs> it is it is a very beautiful trail. You should definitely do it. No, wait a minute. You when I asked you if you liked the trail, you said no, and now you're now you're changing your story. I didn't realize how many people were gonna down on it. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to the Sierra. It's that a lot of people who have uh, been down on it. It's been absolutely wonderful for oh for four months. I can believe it. Yeah. Don't worry. It's been wonderful for four months. I don't get if 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 if. If you didn't think it was wonderful, why the heck did you do it? Rune, what if we did it because we didn't have anything else to do? Then you might as well have rented my place in Copenhagen, cheap. Alright folks, that music can only mean one thing. This is the part of the show where we end the show. You can always find us at www.thetrailshow.com, twitter.com slash trailshow, and on Facebook, Instagram, Cafe Press, The Trail Show on Stitcher Radio, and of course on iTunes, and you can find D'Lo in his backyard doing landscaping. You can also find us individually on Twitter. I am at Lawton G, Max is at PMaxGo, D'Lo is at D-L-O-W, and P-O-D is at Felicia Darkness. Another trail show has come and gone, but don't fret. We'll be back later this month with more beers, trails, and nonsense. Until then, for the Princes of Darkness and all the TA hikers we walked with, I'm Disco. Ciao. We kept the same pair of shoes during the whole trail, and maybe it's a bad idea because now they are so, so smelly. Peanut butter and banana sandwich is what killed the king. You don't touch it. It's no joke. You come down here, you you figure that out. You bring your silver umbrella or else you're going to perish. The trail was amazing when it wasn't miserable.